You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, Lacrosse is at it again with a new line of lace-up hunting boots, the Navigator Series. And in that Navigator Series, there are two models. There's the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. To find out more information about this new Navigator Series, visit lacrossefootwear.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. Before we start the podcast, we got to pay the bills, and that means we got to do a commercial. And today's commercial is once again by our partner at BondurantCustomFurniture.com. Be sure to go to BondurantCustomFurniture.com, take a look at the gallery that they have on their website, and flip through all the custom furniture ideas that these guys have. They they do some really good work. The one thing they do that's really specialized is they take old whiskey barrels, they refurbish them into furniture, tables, chairs, artwork, lighting fixtures, you name it, they can do it. Visit bondurantcustomfurniture.com and if you have a question, give them a call. All right. Once again, this is not his first rodeo, Mr. Tom Peplinski. What's up, man? Good morning, Dan. Um there's a lot up right now. We're only a month away from season opener and yeah, got yeah. a lot, a lot of last minute stuff to get done here, but yeah. So beautiful day in Southern Iowa. Oh man. I tell you what, this weather we're having in Iowa the past, you know, week or so in this, these mid to, you know, mid to high seventies, no humidity, man, I could, I could get used to this. Yeah. Last few mornings actually felt like early season on bow hunting for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, 50, 55 degrees, fifty four degrees outside. Um, but let's not kid ourselves, right? What's going to happen? Uh, probably in early <laughs> October or sometime in September, uh, we're going to get crushed with like a week of eight, like high eighties, high humidity, even probably into the nineties, where we're going to want to go out and hunt, but it just won't even be worth it. Yeah, it's all, it seems like it happens every year, doesn't it? Yeah, what do they call that in Indian summer? where it's it goes all the way into October. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard that term. Yeah. So, what's uh what's on your to-do list before the season starts? Um right now I have a couple uh small food plots I got to finish. I want to overseed my soybeans with winter rye. And then uh I got a couple of trails to mow through 6 and 7 foot tall switchgrass. And then one thing I like to do every year in September is I like to go to every single stand and kind of do like a pre-use inspection right. for any of my industry guys that are, they're probably familiar with that term, but I, I like to climb them in a controlled environment when it's light out and I can see what I'm doing make sure the, the stand is good. The straps are good. And I try to do that every spring and every fall right before season starts. Yep. For, I have two, two tree stands this year that I've left in. Uh, in the in the woods but other than that I take them out 
of the woods, put them in my garage. And probably once I get back from my elk trip, I'll go through my pre-use inspection uh, where I check the cables, I check the screws, I check the, like the hinges on everything just to make sure that they're going to support me when I get up there. And uh, it's, it's a really good practice to do just because, you know, you hear about guys accidentally stepping on a rusted stand or whatever, and they fall or they get hurt falling or something like that. It's always a good, a good idea to do that. Well, guys that use tree steps too. And I'm, I'm really going away from tree steps, but all, but all I'll use a tree step for now is maybe to hold a chain on to the back of a tree stand or something like that. But you know, if you're not loosening those up every year, right. They'll, they'll snap off. They'll get so tight in the tree. They'll snap off. So, you know, if you are using those, what we used to do is back them out every yeah. year, like in December or January, we would like back them out two turns and then we would actually leave them up so that when you got to that stand, you knew that they weren't in, you know what I'm saying? Right. 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 So that's kind of something we used to do, but yeah. And the other thing I've been starting to do too, is I don't think every stand has them, but I'm really starting to try and like buy three, three or four every year of those, uh, the full, the full harness where you can strap on with a Pusik knot at the bottom and oh, go yeah. up. Yep. Sa- those, I think they're called safety lines or, uh, lifelines. Yeah. Life yeah. Lines. Yep. 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 So I, I started with the more higher, you know, goofier trees to get into and I'm working my way, you know, down to the, you know, what I would call less, less of a threat kind of deals. But yeah, those, you don't, those I definitely take down every year and I put up right before the season. Right. Yeah. I, man, I should use those, but I move around too much where I tear up and set down my tree stands where to the point where it's not even beneficial for me to even buy one because you have to, in order to install it, you have to climb up in the tree stand already. And I'm only using some of these trees one time. Oh, you know okay. what I mean? So I'm, I, yeah. I'm, I'm a lot more mobile in, in my setup. So yeah. So, uh, food plots, tree stand prep, uh, anything else getting ready for the season? No. No, that's about it. And not all my cameras are out yet. I usually start putting my cameras out maybe, you know, right around this time of year, uh, end of August or mid-August when I start putting my fall plots in. That's when I start running cameras. Yeah, yeah. So I still have a couple more of those to do. And in about three weeks here, I'll start glassing real heavy. And, you know, it's kind of the ramp up. So yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can't... I can't even really think about whitetails right now. I got an elk hunt uh, next Friday that I leave for for a week. Then the second week of October, uh, I'm heading to South Dakota for your mule deer deer hunt. So I may not be even hunting until mid to late October. Oh, that's all right. uh, Right, but here's the thing, though. Like, you've been, your, your wife, all your kids are out of the house your wife knows, you know, Hey, I don't have really any kids. I got to take care of. I got three kids. My wife is starting (laughs) to get a little shaky, right? She knows what's coming up. And so she's, uh, I can tell she's starting to get tense that she's going to be a single mom for, uh, a couple weeks, you know, so roughly around four and a half weeks, um, this fall where she'll be running solo. Uh, and so I got to make sure I leave, I'm doing the brownie points thing. I'm making sure she's happy, um, you know, making sure there's help if she needs it. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not only 
prepping for the hunt, but I'm like prepping for me being gone as well. Yeah, I know through the years, it definitely was hard on, on my wife, but I, I'll tell you this, the, uh, she, uh, I think it's a vacation for her too. <laughs> <laughs> One less you asshole know? in the house. <laughs> well, uh, to some extent, they get a little break too. You know, yeah. I know that like, I know watching kids, especially when they're little is tough. Yeah. Um, but to some extent, maybe it's not always a good thing. You spend every waking minute too together. Right. So and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to say longer. that as a negative. It just, it seems to work out pretty good. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, uh, this isn't a therapy show, uh, so we're going to get we're going to get into an article that you wrote that's going to actually come out in the October issue of the Iowa Sportsman, and it's timing the rut. Now, there's different perceptions of what the rut actually is. There's like science. There's what hunters perceive. There's breeding all this stuff, right? What is the rut? And uh, you wrote an article about it. So I would love to just kind of real high level, like what your experience with hunting this quote unquote rut timeframe is. So when I wrote the article, I'm, what I'm trying to do is help out the hunters out there that don't have schedules that allow them to hunt from season opener until the very last sunset. Right. Um, because you know, that's 99% of us hunters. That's right. not the, that's not the guys that are on TV that can do it every day. And I'm not cutting that down. I'm just saying most, most hunters have to balance. And we just talked about it. We have to balance our family life. We may only get two weeks vacation or three weeks vacation. You know, there's an occasional calling and sick on a Friday for a long weekend um, that's what most hunters have to deal with in the fall. And so the biggest conversation I always got in at work or with people on the phone is, you know, what's the best, what's the best two weeks to hunt or what's, if I'm going to take a week of vacation, when should I take a week of vacation? Yeah. And so there's this, there's this, what science tells us is the peak breeding. And then what we all know is kind of like the lead up to peak breeding and then we get into the second rut and all that stuff. But there's also what, as hunters, we see in the woods yes. every fall. And the science is correct. There's, there's no doubt in my mind the science is correct because it, they, base, they base peak breeding on um, doe car kills and they measure the, the fetus and they can accurately predict when that doe is bred. And there's fawn survey studies in the spring in multiple states. So we know every year, year in and year out, regardless of weather, regardless of moon, regardless of all this stuff that, that people like to, you know, create articles about and, and film hunting shows about and everything. We know every year, November 14th and 15th is going to be the peak breeding for does all through the Midwest. Yes. And that's using, that's using thousands of does for data points. Yep. But where the dis where the disconnect comes in, and what I've been seeing for 20 years, actually ever since I've been 12 years old, and the first time I walked in the woods, we want to go back that far. But some years it seems like um, rutting activity would be phenomenal in October, and then the following year it would seem like the rutting activity would be not till November 10th or the 15th, and every year was different. And 
30 years ago, it was always, well, it was because of that snowfall we had, or we had that cold snap that got the does in the heat. So we didn't really understand, at least I didn't, there's probably people out there that did. Right. But we didn't, we didn't understand that really early snowfall or a cold snap or, a you know, three weeks after a hunter's moon and all these things really have nothing to do with it. It's the amount of daylight. Yep. Photo, um, the photo period throughout the day. Yep. The photo period. Yep. Yeah. But, but where the disconnect is between the science and when you're hunting an 80 acre family farm or a hundred acre family farm, where the disconnect is, is when science creates that bell curve and says that peak breeding is November 15th and there's a sharp ramp up to that, you know, roughly 10 days before. And then, and then there's a drastic drop off lasting about 10 days after what science misses is the guy that's hunting the 80 acres may only have four adult bows. Maybe he's got eight adult bows. Yeah. So now your sample point isn't a thousand, isn't a thousand animals anymore. It's four animals. Right. So if you have, and, and I've, and I've seen this now for about 20 years and there's some science, there's a, there's actually a forest study in Pennsylvania um, that I probably should have referenced in my article just because the science is now catching up to this, that when you start looking at smaller samplings of deer, um, if a doe comes in heat, let's say early, let's say, let's say you are on that 80 acre parcel and it's October 20th and one of your four does comes in the heat October 20th, your farm is going to experience what you would think is an early rut. Yep. Because that first doe coming in the heat, we talked about this on an earlier podcast, right? Talk about that first doe gets me more excited than just about anything. Right. Um, but that first doe that comes in the heat October 20th, that will actually trigger that farm into what you would think is an early rut. Because if they're the bucks on that farm, if there's a mature buck or two on that farm, that's when their rut is going to start. That's when they're cruising and chasing and they might start spreading out from their core area a little bit more to look for the next available doe where a farm a mile down the road the first doe might come in the heat november 4th or maybe november 10th yep so same weather same moon phase same everything and one farm might have an early rut and one might farm might have a traditional rut and the next farm might actually have like a late rut and it all depends on when that first doe comes into heat and triggers that local buck population into the frenzy that we all like to hunt in the fall. And that's, that's by and large what the article talks about. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy because you're talking about the law of averages is I think what you're saying is the law of averages tell us, tells us that peak breeding is the 14th and 15th of, of, uh, of November. However, just like you've said, the does don't come into heat just at that time. They come into a heat all the time throughout that time frame, right? Uh, and I think they've had um, studies done where it's like even early October, within the first 10 days, there's does potentially being bred in certain scenarios. That's all correct. the way into December, where let's say a doe didn't get bred, She'll cycle through again and now, and, and maybe even cycle in an additional time. So she's bred maybe even towards the, the last part of December and even into the shotgun uh, season here. So that's a huge distance between there, right? And obviously the bell curve that 
is the rut, right? It's real, real slow, peaks up all the way to the 14th and 15th of November, and then kind of, and then drops down significantly, significantly, and uh, then teeters out, right? So there's a huge time frame there. Now I'll tell you from my experience, there are mature bucks on my farm that I hunt late October. The first week of November is a bunch of three-year-olds. Then when we get into the 7th, 8th, all the way into like the 18th, I would say, there are, that's when additional big bucks come in, come onto the farm. So it's like there's does being bred elsewhere. And then there, there are two things are happening. They're done breeding those does and they're coming into the farm or they're staying away from the farm until the does on that farm start to breed that second week in November. Okay. So that's, that's how, so for me, everybody used to say, and I I used to be this, the same way, dude, the first two, the first two weeks of November are when you need to be in the woods. Now for me, I'm almost going to say through the experience on my farm, it's the second and third week leading up until Thanksgiving that I need to be on my farm. That's when the mature four-year-olds and older start making an appearance and and start making uh, moves in daylight. Uh, what what's the I, I guess what's the rut timing like on your farm? Well, I guess that was the point of the whole article. Is it it's different every year? Okay. So going going back going back to when I had one week of vacation. Right. You know, when I first started out in the workforce, and I had one week of vacation, and I had a family with little kids and stuff like that. And then maybe even two weeks of vacation. I had to pick. I had to say, and and by the way, my my earliest job when I had that, you had to pick in January when you wanted your vacation for the year. Okay. So I had to I had to decide and pick in January when when do I want to go. So I always pick the end of October and the first part of November, depending on if I had one or two weeks, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it was and it was hit and miss. So so one year I would go out. And I'd be sitting in my stand starting, let's say, October 25th-ish, somewhere around there. And I would have phenomenal honey, just phenomenal honey. And then the next year, nothing. Yeah. And then maybe and maybe the third year, nothing. So then I'd be, well, what do I want to switch? Do I, what do I want to do here? And then the fourth year, it would be phenomenal again. And I'm trying to figure out what what is causing, why is it phenomenal one year? And then the following year, it's nothing. The deer aren't moving. Is it weather? Is it because last year I had, a, you know, this cold front we talk about in the fall, the food sources change. And over the years, because I observed it, because I actually observed some does coming in the heat um, early in October, in my mind, that's what was triggering it. And once I kind of had this hypothesis, if you will, that that first doe coming in the heat, you know, whether it's October 20th or the 15th or maybe even a little bit later, that was what was triggering that phenomenal activity that I was seeing in some years. And then some years I wasn't seeing it until, you know, well into November. So I had the luxury years ago of hunting a, a decent sized farm, a rather big farm. It was 440 some acres, I think, but it was split in half by a state highway. Okay. And, 
And what was nice about that is it was one farm, one landowner. I'm great friends with them today, but it hunted like two completely different farms because very rarely would we get buck pictures and stuff on our cameras on one side of the farm as we, as we did on the other. It's not like it was impossible, but it was very rare. And it seemed like the Doe family groups never really wanted to cross that highway. Not that they won't. Obviously, we see deer hit by cars all the time. But it really hunted like two different farms. And when I really started picking up on this is when you would hunt one side of the farm one day and then the, and then the other side the next day, just kind of depending on wind direction right? and which stands you wanted to hunt that night. And all of a sudden, one farm would light up. One farm would go nuts with buck activity, um, the chasing and, and the, the scraping. And I, when I mean scraping, I mean like more aggressive scraping. Uh, the cameras would light up with daytime buck activity and the other farm nothing. And it might be, a, it might be two, three days later. It might be two weeks later. And then the following year, that same thing could happen again or completely flip-flop. And I started figuring out that the reason why this is happening isn't because of the hunting pressure we're putting on, because it was the same every year. It wasn't because of the hunting pressure. really wasn't because of the food sources or anything else. It was because that's when the local doe population, where one or two of the does were starting to come into heat, and that was triggering, you know, like what I call the buck's rut. We're sure there's a buildup. When they go hard horn and their, their testosterone levels start to climb, and, and we all know that science knows this. So there's a buildup, and then they start scraping, and they start rubbing. But when that first doe comes into heat, that's what really triggers them that, okay, now there's, now there's breeding. So you might see, you know, three-year-old, or not three-year-old, you might see these three-pointer, three-pointers and five-pointers, these year-and-a-half-old bucks chasing does around you know, even in September and October, and they're just kind of acting stupid. What really gets the more mature bucks, the three, the fours, and the fives up on their feet in daylight is when they know they can actually breed, and that's that first doe that comes in the heat. Right. And what I was trying to point out is that doesn't always follow the bell curve because the bell curve is thousands of data points. Right, right. Where your, your farm might be three data points or five data points or even a dozen, but even out of a dozen you're going to have a more of a sporadic in and out where these, where these does are coming in the heat. So I don't tell when people ask me now, Hey, what's your opinion on what's the best two weeks to hunt? Well, if you have to take vacation, if you have to, like I used to have to do that, then you're kind of, it's kind of a, a game of, of odds, like you said. So then I would say, you know, what do you, what kind of conditions do you like to hunt? The last week of October can be phenomenal hunting. But it can also be some really slow hunting too. It depends on the timing of the rut that that particular year. So, yep. to answer your question, I every year is different, and that's that's what I'm trying to capitalize on this article. Is if you go out in October and you're seeing absolutely no, you know, rut type activity, and your hunting is kind of slow, and it almost seems like all the deer are on a bed to feed pattern, and it's it's still October you know, it's October 27th and 28th and 29th, and you're just really not seeing anything, that's likely because a doe hasn't come in heat anywhere near your farm or anywhere near where those bucks have their home range that are around you. Right. So then, so then the, the counter is you go to work and your buddies are saying, holy cow, they're lit up on my farm. I, this is what I'm seeing. I saw three bucks uh, 
cruising this morning and I saw one shooter and this is going on and, and you're not seeing it. And it, don't think it has anything to do with you doing anything wrong. Not, I guess not that you're necessarily doing anything wrong, but there's other variables that you can't control. And, and the one that I seem to point my finger at a lot is this, is this timing of this first hot dough that kind of triggers that, that local rut by you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so what I've heard before is does will come into, and I, I don't want to put a stamp on it and call it truth because there might be some expectations, but I heard that depending on when a doe is born may have something to do with when she comes into heat as a a mature doe and when she's ready for breeding. So, so she will potentially come into heat the same time every single year. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's why a lot of guys say when it starts to come this late October time frame and you have the ability to really watch what your herd is doing on the farm, watch what the does are doing really close, right? Because if there's a mature doe that is coming into heat the same time every year, you know, let's say late October or uh, the first week of November and you set up on those does and more than likely there's going to be a, a a dominant buck or a mature buck right behind her every time that, that time frame, right? When she's ready, find where she's at. And then you're going to find the big boy. And this is all, you know, there's a little speculation mixed in with this as well. Right. Because, you know, the, from, from what I understand, is the the first doe that is being bred is going to be bred by the by the dominant buck in that area. They're going to find each other and they're going to breed. Now, I'm sure that's not happens every single time, but the if there's only one doe in heat as opposed to 20 does in heat at a certain period of time, that big mature that mature buck is going to get that one doe because he's just going to chase everything else off. He, there's no, there's no other competition for breeding, right? So that three-year-old isn't going to get to breed that first hot doe because that four-year-old just beat him up or just kicked him away or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think that's the key. I don't, I don't know that nature actually has it set up that, that they actually seek each other out type of thing, but you're, but you're correct. She starts coming in the heat and she's going and she's, you know, primarily still on a bed to feed pattern and her scent is going all over the place. Yep. And, and she might even arouse some younger bucks that start doing crazy things or whatever. And that's his world. So eventually he figures that out and he's going to, and yeah, I, I a hundred percent agree that, that that's probably the case. And when I started putting my finger on this, it's precisely because of that. Yeah. I'd be sitting, I'd be sitting in a stand doing like a doing like an observation set on a bed to feed type pattern in mid October. And all of a sudden I'd see, you know, a doe come out and it's like, Hey, this is November 15th, the way she's acting. Yeah. And there's two, and there's two little adolescent bucks running around and a three-year-old running around. And then there's this, you know, giant five-year-old that is breeding her. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this more than once. And then, and then, 
coincidentally, and now it's not a coincidence anymore, but all of a sudden that farm from then on would just light right up. Right. And, in, and sure, it might take a pause because if that's mid-October, the next dough that comes in the heat might be another two weeks. Yeah. But that sure, that sure is what lit a flame. That right. sure is what got it going on that farm. So right. the other point I guess I'd like to make is if you are like a weekend hunter or, or maybe you're the hunter that can take time not a year in advance. So you can, you know, you can call up and, and, and say maybe to your boss or whatever, Hey, I want to take next week off or I want a long weekend or whatever. If that type of stuff is available, available to you, if you see this first hot dough come into heat, if that's something you're witness of, and let's say it's a Sunday night and you're supposed to go back to work on Monday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday is supposed to be, you know, 80 degrees and warm and not very good or whatever. Forget about the, oh, I got to have a cold front to hunt. If that's the first hot dough that's coming in the heat, it's October 19th or something like that. Those next one or two days in that area are going to be phenomenal. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste uh, those same vacation days two weeks from now because, quote, unquote, that's when it's supposed to be the best hunting because you have the best hunting right now at your doorstep. It's right there. You just witnessed it. Take advantage of it. Maybe it's only maybe it only lasts for a day, because maybe she's already been in heat for a day. I mean, you don't know. Yeah. But um, the point of that is they're going to come in the heat when they're going to come in the heat. You know, whether it has whether it has something to do with, like you were saying, when they were born themselves, that it's kind of built into their their genes that they're going to come in the heat every time every year. Um, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter to me. It's when I witness that type of behavior and I see it happening, I don't care what the weather is. I don't care if it's supposed to be warm the next two days. I don't care if the wind is supposed to switch out of the East or whatever, whatever the different things that you go by, because that, that right there is going to get those deer on their feet. And especially the mature buck or two or three that you have in on your farmer in the area, they're going to, they're going to be out there. So key key in on it. And, and that dole probably has a small home range. You know, if you're in farm country in the Midwest, you know, her home range might be 80 to a hundred acres that time of year. Well, that really narrows it down. Doesn't it? You got a hot dole that has a, that has a home range of 80 to a hundred acres during that time of the year. And part of that's in agricultural fields and stuff. Holy cow. You can really narrow down where you can have a really good chance on taking a nice buck. Yeah. And it's, and it's mid October. Right. Right. So let me ask you this question and this might help answer other questions, but when do you actually kill a majority of the mature bucks on your farm? If you were to go back 15 years or however long you've had your property, would we see a trend on specific dates or like a three date range where, Hey dude, I, I'm either killing my deer November 5th, 6th, or 7th every year. No, I don't. It's always the vast, vast, vast majority is in October for okay. me. And it's and it, a lot of it has to do with two different things. One is, well, really three. One is a, is a, the classic bed-to-feed pattern. Right. And a lot of years you can't pick up on that. A lot of years they just they're not on their feet during the day. Um, so you, you just can't take advantage of it. The second would be that classic bell curve ramp up when you can take advantage of some decent, 
you know, testosterone levels increasing where you can get them on their feet and, you know, hunt some transition food plots and stuff with scraping and stuff going on, but still kind of on a bed to feed pattern. But really the third is the first hot doe type of thing where it, where it lights up and October 19th, 20th, 25th, 26th, right in that area. Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen what I felt was that first hot doe coming in the, in the heat, or maybe it was the second, whatever it is. And there's this peak of rut activity and I get all over it and I'm done in a day or two as soon as I, as soon as I see it. So it's like a flash that, in the pan. It is. It really is. It's in, and, and you're not going to see it every year. So I, you know, I'm not, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to write about something and tell hunters, you know, go take advantage of this because you, you, you really can't every year. Some years it doesn't even take place. Some years you don't have a bull coming in and heat until well into November. So then that's, you're wasting your time thinking you're going to get this first hot doe peak awesome rut activity in October because it never existed. Right. But when, when you see it and you witness it and you can get on it, you know, that, that's the other if, if, if you can get on it, if you can't take time off and you're a weekend hunter and you, and you see it happen on a Sunday and you can't take off Monday or Tuesday, well then you can't take advantage of it anyways, but right. for the people who can, and you can jump all over it. And when I say jump all over it, what I mean is, you know, you're, you're hunting, you know, carefully and you're, and I always hunt carefully. So I don't, I don't want to use that term, but if, like I said, that doe's home range is 80 to hundred acres and you see her with your, your target buck and she's in heat. You want to get in there. You want to hunt, you want to hunt that deer. There's no sense the very next night sit in the same observation stand, for example, that you just sat on when you witnessed this from 400 yards away. Right. That, that doesn't do you any good because you're 400 yards away. You want to, you want to get over there, put a plan in. Maybe it's hanging another stand because now you're hunting that specific doe, whatever it may be, but you get all over it. Right. Right. And that's uh, another good thing about the rut is that I feel like bucks have short memory. Uh, if they're, if they're chasing, actively chasing a doe, uh, they're not, you know, they may get spooked or get busted. They're going to run away and they're still going to be dogging that doe. And if that doe leads them back through two days later, it's not like early season where if a buck busts you and he's solo, he's going to be pretty wary coming through that again, but not when, you know, there's a hot doe in the mix. It's just, you know, their, their brains become soup. Agreed. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. Yep. So, it's almost like I've been thinking about this. It's almost like there's like the rut, the rut kind of is encompassing a whole bunch of different things, right? It, it, it includes the, the hunters or the perceived rut and the actual breeding. It's almost like we would do better if we would separate them. We all know science says that on the 14th, of November is peak breeding the law of averages, right? So leading up to that point, you're going to see a lot of deer movement and even leading up, you know, after that point, there's going to be a lot of deer seeking out their next, their, you know, a lot of bucks seeking out their next, um, uh, next doe. Right. So with all that said, it's almost like if we took that out of the equation and just kind of really focused on, you know, the the actual deer movement and not necessarily the breeding that we would do i I don't know this is just a a thought that's 
I'm creating right now. So uh, I may sound stupid, but uh, if we just focus on the deer movement and not necessarily the, the time of the year, then, or that, that specific date, then we would do a lot better at, at making decisions on where we should sit uh, and what deer to chase. Well, yeah. So again, it goes back to, it goes back to two scenarios. Right. You know, one, one is the hunter that can only hunt weekends and they have a fixed amount of time off that they're okay. This is the week I have. Then you're, you're going to hunt when you can hunt and you really don't have any other options around it. Um, and the other, the other guy has a more flexible schedule. Maybe, maybe there's a retiree out there. Right. Maybe there's a small business owner. And my whole point of writing this article was just because we know that peak breeding, the science tells us peak breeding is November 14th and 15th and over thousands of those being sampled that, that that's correct. And it doesn't change year to year. Right. That local rut activity does not necessarily follow that bell curve. That's right. And it, and, and it could change every year. So I just want hunters to know that was, that was the reason why I wrote it is I want hunters to know or realize kind of what took me many, many years to put together. And now that this study came out from the, in Pennsylvania, and I, I apologize, I should almost have written that down, but I'm out in the field right now, but it's the, I think it's the university of Pennsylvania has done a radio collared deal with bucks and does and stuff like that. And yep. they're starting to point, they're starting to point to the same thing that I have thought for a long time. And I have, and I have observed it and I, I've taken advantage of it, but now they're, they're finally putting science on it that says that, yeah, we, we have radio collared three-year-old and four-year-old bucks that they're, they're rut when their peak activity starts to skyrocket directly correlates to when the first doe that they encounter comes into heat. Yeah. So I'm reading, I'm reading this and I'm thinking this, this matches a hundred percent with what I've observed and what I've been trying to take advantage of for a long time. And it explains why 30 years ago, 35 years ago, when I was a 12 year old kid, why I couldn't figure out one year, one year, the rut, you know, what we perceived as the rut was October and the next year it wasn't until Thanksgiving. And, and back then it was the uncles and, and grandpas and well, it's cause we had a snow. So we, we had an early snow and we just don't, we just didn't know. So we tried to rationalize what was going on. Well, you know, fast forward 35 years and now I know what's going on. It's yeah. because the local, the local rut changes every year. So take advantage of it and understand what you're observing and one year the scrape activity seems to peak at a certain time and the next year it doesn't. And this is, this is a lot of it is explained by this local rut yep. when the does, when the does are coming in heat and, and you can write off a lot of what I used to think. Well, it's because I, last year I had the super, super big and nasty King Brassica plant in this plot. You know, I'm, I'm making this up. Yeah. <laughs> so and that's when it was great. This year, I only had winter rye. I got to go back to the super big and nasty brassica plot. Well, I ain't got nothing to do with it. And it's because of this yeah. lo localized timing of the rut. That's that's what's triggering this phenomenal yep. activity in October. Or you're sitting in your stand, you don't see nothing until well into November. Yep. Because because that's when it took off in, on your farm. Yep, absolutely. I would love to see a bell curve uh, on the breeding by 
and break it down one more level by age of buck, right? So when that peak movement happens, um, I think I read a study from the QDMA that like the bucks that do like, I think two and three year olds are the, they actually do the most breeding out of all of the deer. So they're that real horned up buck that's going from doe to doe to doe to doe to doe to doe and just running ragged the entire rut, right? It's like a freshman in college the first time they ever go to a bar. They don't even know what to do. They're so jacked up. Um, <laughs> and then and then you got like, it's that old saying, right? It's like uh, there's a, a two bulls sitting on the top of the hill. There's <laughs> There's one buck, one bull that wants to run down there and chase them all, and then there's one who just wants to walk and get the, you know, and get him, you know, get him his way. So, uh, I, I think, I think that's not, be... that's not quite how I heard the joke told. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to censor it a little bit, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I think it would be cool to see that by age because it would allow people to know, you know what? Uh, if I'm going to, I really want to try for a three-year-old this year. I really want to try for a four-year-old this year. Maybe four-year-olds through research and this is all hypothetical at this point move three days closer to that peak breeding or six days away from that before that peak breeding as opposed to uh you know a a three-year-old that's moving i don't know 10 days before that and a two-year-old's moving 12 days before that because i've seen i've seen just like you said uh, a doe that is just getting ready to get it get into heat and she's not breedable yet, but there's there's a two year old that's dogging her like she is, and he doesn't know any better. And then I've in the same breath I've seen a hot doe come up. A, this the same buck. So I sat in this tree stand like t- three days in a row because I knew eventually something's gonna come through looking for this doe. Doe finally is breedable. And here comes the big boy, shoes him off in just a second. He doesn't even have to worry about this. So this dog, this this buck wore her down, doing all the work. The big dog just came in and and he eventually took her away from me. I didn't get a shot, but took her off into a thicket. I'm sure he bred her right there, and then uh, he was off and gone 24 hours later. You know what I mean? Yeah. the The way I view that is is this, but. The year-and-a-half-old bucks and then the two-and-a-half and the three-and-a-half are moving less and less. So the year-and-a-halfs have the most hyper amount of movement, this bed-to-feed type movement in September, October, November. The two-year-olds are a little less. The three-year-olds are a little less. And what a lot of hunters will agree on is this observation that once a buck gets to be four and five and six years old, that their core area, especially in the early part of the season really shrinks. Potentially. So they, they have their preferred bedding, they have their food source, a water source, and they don't leave it. Yeah. And they just stay there. Whereas the year and a half and the two and a half are more erratic. Right. So I think, I think a two and a half and a three and a half are probably exposed to potentially a doe coming in the heat before the four-year-old and the five-year-old and the six-year-old would just because they're more willy-nilly. They're going over here and they're eating and then they're going over by this water hole and they're having a drink and then they're wandering over here because they just, they're less, they're less of a core animal. 
Yes. So the the chances of them picking up the scent of a doe that's coming in the heat and finding her are greater just because they're putting on more yards. They're putting on, they're traveling more than that four and a half and five and a half. Yeah. So so potentially they'll find a a hot doe and the older buck won't find it or won't find it as soon. But I think eventually they do because that, that scent is blowing around and animals can tell when, when there's stuff going on in the woods and they, and they hear this running and chasing and, so eventually they pick up on it. Right. But I think you're probably right. At least my logic would tell me that two and three-year-olds probably do more breeding because they're just, they're putting on more miles Yeah. than these bigger bucks are. These bigger bucks are happy. Just, okay, I found my doe. I'll stay with her for as long as I possibly can and breed her. Right. And then I'll move on to my next one. Or the twos and the threes, they're just going nuts. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. So... When are you really going to start? I mean, are you going to like watch your trail cameras and make the decision at that time to start hitting it hard? Or do you hit it hard on a specific date on your farm? Well, what I do is I, what I do is I follow the classic bell curve, the scientific bell curve that says that peak breeding is the middle of November. So the early, the early season I hunched, like we kind of talked about a little bit opening day, I'm going to go out and I'm going to hunt October 1st at night. And I'm going to hunt strictly bedding to feeding patterns, probably for two or three weeks. That's the plan. And then I'll start ramping it up into that late October. But if I witness what I consider the first doe coming in heat, then that's when I go after it. Otherwise I plan my hunt, you know, from the rocking chair, uh, with the classic bell curve. That's yeah. how I plan my hunt. Yeah. But more, more often than not, most, most seasons that something happens where I'm going after it, you know, October 25th or the 19th or something like that, because something has changed. Yeah. You know, wh- whether there's an area just completely tore up with scrapes and, and all of a sudden my camera activity, you know, went from 20 bucks a week to a hundred bucks a week. I'm like, okay, something happened here. I need to target that area. And in my mind, it's because a doe came in the heat and now this, this so-called buck rut, I, I guess I'm calling it that. I don't know what else to call it, but the buck rut is, is going to take off in this area. And it's generally like 90% or better. It's, it's spot on when you, when you notice something like that, or you see it, that buck rut is just going to skyrocket. It doesn't matter if it's October 20th or if it's, November 5th or whatever. It just, it doesn't matter when that, when that bill comes in the heat and you can recognize it and see it. Yeah. It's going to really light up. Right. It's yeah. also, if you have the opportunity to have more than one farm, I, I used to, I used to think to myself, boy, I'd be great just to own like a thousand acres all in one piece. And don't get me wrong. I'd still like to own a right. thousand acres all in one piece. <laughs> but if you were the hunter that had to choose between an 80 acre piece or two 40 acre piece pieces separated by a few miles or something like that. I think I'd take the two 40 acre pieces because I, I think that that increases your odds of hitting different peak activities and, and you're hunting two different deer herds as opposed to the, the 180. That's kind of my look at it. So yeah, that's, I guess just another idea that if a hunter's out there and he's, 
and he's thinking that the other thing is if you have the opportunity to hunt one or two different farms or three farms you know don't be afraid to jump around a little bit just so you can pick up on this yeah that's uh that's kind of what i do i bounce now my main farm lays real different i i honestly feel there's two different deer herds on that farm just because it's such a it's such a drastic terrain difference um but but yeah, I'm. I agree, man. Sometimes you, if your farm's dead, you got to bounce around and get out and go try to, you know, try to find something else at least. Because sitting in a dead zone just doesn't do you any good. Mm-hmm. So, well, Mr. Tom Peplinski, let me be uh, one of the first guys to wish you good luck this upcoming season, man. Yeah, right back at you. I'm looking forward to it. Yep, it's going to be a good one. They're all good. Yeah, every that, season's good. That's a fact, man. Any time, any day yep. in the tree stands a good day. Yeah, as long as everyone's safe and and don't get hurt. I learned a long time ago that comes first. Yeah, that's a fact. You've got to be safe, make sure everything's good to go, and, and have fun. And it and then all seasons are good. That's a, that's a fact. Well, thanks for your time, Tom. Oh, thank you. I like doing these. A lot of fun. And that brings us to the end of another Iowa Sportsman podcast. Be sure you guys are subscribing on iTunes or wherever you download this podcast. Uh, That means it comes directly to your phone or mobile device, and you don't have to go and download it every time. So be sure to subscribe. Also, be sure to follow along on the Sportsman's Nation website. Tons of great information there. And on their website, you can also subscribe to the magazine as well. So you got the podcast, you got the website, and you got the magazine. Different content on all of those platforms. So check it out. Other than that, huge shout out to our partners at Bondurant Custom Furniture. Go check out their website, BondurantCustomFurniture.com. Hopefully everybody is off to a great September. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next time.